Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for, for joining me today. Super excited to chat about your journey, man. Super impressive path that you've been on so far, building Lokai and and just infusing the, the impact into a really powerful brand. So I, I want to kind of go a lot of different paths with this. Uh, but first, let's just start with your journey, man. What was sort of the, the aha moment? What was the reason for starting the, the company? Yeah, what's up, Grant? Thanks for having me on the show. I actually came up with the idea for Lokai when I was 19. My grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and mm-hmm. uh, that really brought me to a low in my life. I was very close to him growing up, and it just got me thinking about the highs and lows that I was going through and how everybody goes through highs and lows. You know, it doesn't matter age or demographic. We all have them. Uh, and so I said, okay, well, what are the highest and lowest points on earth? Mount Everest and the Dead Sea. And how could I take elements from those two places and incorporate them in a bracelet that people could wear? Every day is a reminder to find balance in life, staying humble when you're on top of the world and hopeful when you've hit a low. I told my dad the idea for Lokai and he said, that's a great idea, but everyone has great ideas. Now go execute. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the hard part. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the most important thing that I ever did uh, was add the giving back aspect to the brand. I think that giving back really helps you find balance as an individual. Um, and so we decided to pledge 10% of our profits to charity. And to date, we've given almost $10 million to different nonprofit organizations. It's pretty incredible, my man. The first follow-up I would have to that is, you talk about execution. What was sort of the, I guess, the first step into going about that execution when you said, hey, I got this idea, but then how do you make it a reality? What were some of those first few steps that were super important? Yeah. You know, for me, um, at 19, kind of ignorance is bliss. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you don't really like understand all the different parts of what goes into building a business. I just wanted to get the product made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started by just Googling, how do you find a factory in China? Um, <laughs> and as simple as that. Like just day by day, working to make samples and get the product made. Um, And then when I did, I started the company by walking store to store in New York, uh, walking in cold saying, hey, is the owner or manager here? Could I talk to you about my product? Um, I love to talk about selling loci here. Mm -hmm. I got turned Mm -hmm. down almost every time, but (laughs) the, the few wins that I got kept me going. Yeah. And just started very organically like that. Did you have uh, e-commerce spun up already in those early days or it was just sort of door-to-door trying to get in retail? Yeah, we did have e-commerce spun up. And what really kind of accelerated the growth of the brand um, is I, as I walked door-to-door and, and gave bracelets to friends and uh, sold a few, I learned that people loved the story of Lokai. Mm-hmm. Because what they were really doing was they were putting their own story of their own highs and lows into the product. And so I thought about how I could reach more people to tell their own stories of highs and lows. And, you know, you got to get a little lucky with business. And uh, it was about the time that Instagram was becoming a thing. Uh, And so I started to find celebrities, athletes, influencers who had a mother that was diagnosed with breast cancer or who had someone in their family with Alzheimer's. And I'd reach out to them and I'd say, hey, we're loci. We're a brand about inspiring people to find balance, staying humble and hopeful in life. Can you tell your story? And here's our product that gives back to breast cancer, Alzheimer's or whatever it might be. And uh, it just created a, a wildfire from there. Wow. So when you talked about the the nonprofit partners, sort of the give back partners, how did you go about doing that? Was it similar to 
you know, door to door sales with the, with the physical product? Was it just pinging nonprofits and being like, Hey, you know, we have this brand. We'd like to maybe attach some, some donations to you for every sale. Like what was the process for getting the nonprofits on board? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the first one, two, three were a lot more difficult than uh, (laughs) the 20th. Uh, Once you kind of have that Rolodex of organizations you work with, they're kind of like, Oh, these organizations trust you. Okay, we will too. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I was really just telling my story and connecting the people at the organization that knew that their client base wanted hope, right? So in the early days, we'd show up at uh, Susan G. Komen breast cancer walks, and we would sell the bracelets there, uh, the pink ones for Susan G. Komen. So uh, we also really like understood that the message of hope was so powerful and needed within these organizations and their uh, their base of, of community. And so uh, we did some mar- cross-marketing promotions as well. I want to go back to a thing you said earlier, and uh, I love the high and low part with which with the the Dead Sea and sort of Mount Everest. How did that sort of come to be, and and how is that even like I guess possible, right? Like how you know you can easily Google like a factory stuff, but then how do you find a way to actually get that that part into the product? Yeah, like, I don't know if that's something you can Google very easily. Yeah, no. Um, surprisingly, <laughs> they make a lot of beauty products out of mud from the Dead Sea, a lot right, of face right. masks. So. I was able to find a wholesaler who would sell me the Dead Sea mud. Uh, the water from Mount Everest did take me a while. <laughs> I ended up finding a group of Sherpas, uh, a climbing group, who uh, wow, me employ cool. to go up and get the water and bring it down instead of people, right? Which is what they usually do. Wow, that's interesting, man. That's interesting. Look, the hardest part, I think, of any business is, is scale. Writing and hitting that sort of growth, whether it's early on or, or later, how would how would you categorize sort of the the overall growth trajectory? You know, year one, year three, because I think it took a while, perhaps, to kind of hit a point where you're at this you know massive scale, selling millions. Was that a three year process, five year process? Yeah, and- five, like five. Yeah, um, I worked on building the company for three years before I even launched it. So wow. I was still in college, but I worked on it pretty much every day for sophomore, junior, senior year. And then I launched the company uh, right when I graduated. And then it didn't really take off until two years after that. And that was due to, you think strictly it was Instagram and getting the influencer involved that really catapulted it? Yeah, I, I think any business, it takes twice as long as you think it is to really just get the word out there and organically build an audience and a community. Nothing happens overnight, even though it might feel like it's overnight to uh, the the world or the audience or the community. How does your your sort of your dad feel about this now that you've sort of executed? You know, has he been along for the ride? Like, has he been sort of a where is he at now that you've executed? Yeah, no, both my parents are incredibly supportive, um, and I definitely um, have made them both proud. And my my mom is someone who has always given a lot her whole life. And so that that aspect definitely comes from from her and happy, happy, proud parents. <laughs> as you talk, as we talk about, you know, impact, and, and obviously, sometimes tragedy can, you know, affect us in different ways. And it becomes a real positive, not only for us in our lives, but then, you know, down the road, it affects others, right? I mean, you guys almost donated $10 million at this point mm-hmm. to nonprofit partners. I mean, that that your grandfather's passing has turned into the impacting lives 
you know, around the world, right? So if you can go back then a little bit, how far was it after maybe his passing that, you know, the idea came and then, you know, maybe the first time you actually sat down and maybe sent an email out to try to get a manufacturer? Like, I actually came up with the idea when he was diagnosed. So he lived years with Alzheimer's. Um, and so it's really cool. There's a, there's actually a picture on the website. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Of we'll me and him both wearing Lokai's. And those are like some of the first samples before he passed. Uh, so he didn't know what was going on, but uh, it was pretty cool to at least have that memory and that picture of him wearing a loci. Was that your uh, your mom's dad or your dad's dad? It was my dad's dad. Yeah, incredible, man. The biggest thing I, I, I think a lot of talk, talk to a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think there's so many ways to you know pick and choose. Well, what you pick and choose for for growth and trying to get your message out there. And you know, there's so many products on the market, right? You name any sector, there's going to be multiple competitors at this point, especially covering you know the impact sector the last 10 years. Early on, there wasn't a lot of competition, right? I mean, it was, it was pretty open. And now there's even so much competition within that space. What sort of advice would you give maybe emerging you know, social entrepreneurs looking to create a product? Maybe they have an idea, they want to have an impact model behind it. And Instagram is... It's probably there's not that growth that there that was probably was before, like when you started. What steps or advice would you give them to take, kind of, kind of going out the gate? Yeah, you know, I w- I would say whatever you do, you have to be incredibly passionate about, mm-hmm. right? And it, and if it's giving back to organizations and starting like a social philanthropic company, mm-hmm. um, that can be the driver. But you then can't just say, oh, okay, we're just going to take T-shirts and, and right. throw our logo on it and sell it, right? It kind of, it, it all has to live together and you have to be just as passionate about the product that you're creating uh, as the organizations that you want to support and give back to. I think what made Loki very successful, um, yes, it's a bracelet, but it's a very unique idea, um, right, that encompasses the cause through the colors that we do and the message of the bracelet itself. I think if I were to just take like the Live Strong bracelets uh, in different colors and sell them for organizations, it wouldn't be what it is today, right? So I, I would I, I would say consumer products is <laughs> not the easiest way to make money. Yeah. Um, and so if the product isn't the passion, giving back is. There's probably other industries um, that you could raise more money for organizations than consumer products. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say would be some, you know, if you were starting out now, right? And, and you know, Instagram sort of, again, it's a little saturated, but is there other places you would look at? I mean, obviously like TikTok is sort of big right now and a bit trending, but is there other, whether it's a social network or whether it's, you know, traditional, you know, paid ads, you know, where do you, where do you see sort of, a great place for you know early companies to put maybe limited limited amounts of energy and, and, and marketing and maybe even marketing budget toward you know if it was as simple as like the next instagram yeah. I'd, like i'd be doing it right now <laughs> um i th- i think it's more about having a deep understanding for your own brand your own customer base mm-hmm. and where you can find those people right and and being authentic to that message we happen to have a great product that could be easily told through Instagram and the stories. Mm-hmm. But don't don't be afraid to to be local and grassroots and really learn from people 
hand to hand. Like I still go to the low cut trade shows. Oh, because, wow. Nice. Uh, it's so interesting to hear how people talk about the brand or know the brand or uh, what they wish they saw on the brand. Um, and you don't really get that from running the company from kind of behind the walls. You, you really get that from being out with the people and the customers. So that would be the, the advice I would say. How was going through COVID when you couldn't do that? You know, like now events, I think, and trade shows are you know coming back for sure. And they're probably going to be bigger than ever. But what were those couple of years maybe like when you couldn't have those interactions with people? Yeah, it was really important that we were omni-channel. So yeah. we have our own website. We're in retail distribution and on Amazon. And when COVID happened, our retail sales like fell off a cliff. But our D2C and Amazon sales grew a bunch. Um, and so I, I, and I just quickly realized how important being omni-channel is. And then another example is um, with all the iOS updates and privacy yeah. laws, uh, advertising mm-hmm. online yeah. got incredibly hard and retail sales started to come back from COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So um, as a consumer products brand, I think the, the brands I've seen over the last five to eight years who have six who have survived yeah. were the ones that had different channels of distribution. Um, because if you just have one and something happens out of your control, it can affect your entire business. Yeah, it's really been retail is really we thought it would I don't know, there was a lot of negative energy toward retail probably, you know, five to seven years ago. Um, but from your point of view, it sounds like retail is still very important to have. You know, obviously DTC is is you need that of course. But retail is still a powerful avenue. Yeah, retail is the fastest growing uh, part of our business. It's crazy, huh? Did you expect yeah. that? No. <laughs> is that the? Is that because trade shows and is is kind of where this stuff happens, and you get these big bulk orders, and that really helps. That really helps companies even early on, or even in later stages, really perform annually. You know, I I think we've just done an amazing job over the last decade building a real brand. Yeah. Um, that people recognize and know. And maybe we should have focused on retail a lot earlier, but our priority was more D2C. Um, and now that our brand is known, when we go into retail, we sell through, right? Wow. It's, it's yeah. kind of a game like it's, and a lot of people say this, um, it's easy to sell into a retailer. It's hard to sell through the retailer and like get that reorder and right. keep it going. Um, and we've seen a lot of success in the doors that we open because of the brand and the marketing we've done over the last 10 years. Where's the, where can people get them location-wise? I mean, is it almost every state? Is there any global retail? What's the Yeah, in retail. Um, two of our largest retailers are Dick's Sporting Goods and Kohl's. Um, we're also in, yeah, we're also in Ron John, uh, tons of surf shops, yoga mm-hmm. studios, boutique stores uh, around the country. We're, we have licenses with all the major sports leagues. Huge. So we're in all the stadiums. So if you go buy gifts at a, like at a Yankees game, you'll find them. Or at a Chiefs game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll find them. Um, and then we're on Amazon and loci.com. How difficult was it? Again, I, I think when I talk to sort of CPG brands, right, that their big hurdle is getting into, you know, the Whole Foods and the Walmarts and these big, you know, these big um, grocery chains. And that's a difficult process. Every Everybody has a different process and it's a journey. But 
from your perspective, like when let's look at like a sports league, right? How long does partnerships like that take? And if you get the MLB first, do, do then as a domino effect, right? And NFL or NBA kind of come afterwards, or I guess, how is it like to build those relationships? Because those are extremely important, but extremely difficult to get. Yeah. And they're also uh, big partnerships, yeah. right? With, <laughs> yeah. with leagues of that size, you're talking about like a large partnership. Um, and so you have to be able to sustain those partnerships. And um, yeah, they're, they're amazing partners and have incredible audiences of consumers. Yeah. Um, I, I think what, what has made it so successful for us is we, we bring a unique product to the table. Right. Like they get hundreds of T-shirt brands sure. a year asking them to do it. So, yeah, we, we've had a lot of success with it. I think the, the 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 hardest part with the sports licensing is the number of SKUs. Let's say there's 32 teams right. really about. Right. You got four sizes for each. So mm. you about hundreds of products. Um, and then when you're talking with your factories and minimum order quantities, it really uh, stacks up. So pros and cons, but overall um, have been amazing partnerships. I want to end a little bit on the future. And I know that sometimes it's difficult to kind of map out. But if you look over the next maybe like three to five years, what's sort of the, the mission, the vision and, and, and goals that you would say, hey, we've been successful these last three to five years. What are some of those things that you guys talk about as a team? Yeah, it's an amazing question. Um, I think in the past, we've lost our way a bit with whether it's different licenses that we didn't fit or think fit our brand so well, um, or just taking our trying to create other products that people might like uh, versus being more narrow and focusing on our mission and our brand, which is to inspire people to find balance and uh, how every day we work to do a better job at that. Uh, and if we can do that better and reach more people with that mission and message, uh, that's how we'll grow our company. It's kind of like a mile deep versus a mile wide. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's really where we're focused. And yeah, it's where I hope to be in the next five years. Amazing, my man. Awesome story, dude. Like I, I've I've interviewed so many, you know, hundreds and hundreds at this point, almost a thousand. And you know, wow. the hardest the hardest thing I think a lot of you know entrepreneurs in sort of the impact space, right? Whether it's buy one give one, or whether it's using ethical materials or, or whatever it may be, it, it's really kind of jumping out of like that just emotional, like passionate about whether it's the product or the the problem they're trying to solve, right? And it's like, how do you become like a real real company? Right, that that really has to deal with some of the, you know, the the daily grind of of SKUs and and you know partnerships at a certain level, right? There's a lot of you know grinded out days in there, so it's really inspiring now to see a lot of these brands like really mature, you know, and, and come out of that early stage and and have the the impact model still you can scale with it, right? Your model is beautiful because as you scale, the impact scales as well, and sometimes that could be difficult um, for brands, um, yeah. so. I love that. And and I think a lot of the the impact for-profit companies that I've seen be successful, and we chatted about this a little bit earlier, their product would sell just as well yep. if it didn't have the impact side, mm -hmm. right? You can't sell something only on the impact. That's not going to work. Yep. You have to be able to have a standalone product and company and mission and story that that impact can be very deeply intertwined with your company yep. and mission. But 
just trying to make things to sell it for impact isn't going to work. Yeah, that window is sort of closed because there's just so much competition. Right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, the products, but I see that a lot, man. I think the products nowadays are tremendous. Totally. You know, I mean, the, the care, the design, the quality in these products and brands are like you said, they're unparalleled. They can, they can compete on any shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, and it's just like, how do you, how do you consistently fit work on the back end of what happens after you buy a product and tell that story in a way that's, there's a fine line, you know, between like overbearing and, and having that be the first thing people see versus the product itself. So it's, it's a delicate balance, man. <laughs> no pun intended, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Steven. I, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, best of luck for the next decade, man. Here's to the next, you know, 20 million, you know, going back to nonprofits. Let's, let's, I mean, that's, it's going to be an incredible 10 years. It's only going to be up from here. So congrats to you and the team, man. Best of luck. Thank you, Grant. 